It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 629 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. And since it's Friday, it's time for another episode of Frontline Friday with my very special co-host, Bridget Gleason. In today's episode, Bridget and I are joined by a guest, Dave Taylor. Dave is the CMO of Impartner, which is a SaaS solution for managing your sales channels and your sales channel partners. And Impartner recently published the findings of a research report on the difficulties that many companies are having in recruiting and hiring qualified enterprise sales reps. And in this episode, we explore the reasons that this hiring has become so tough. And we also talk about why more and more companies are turning to using channel partners to quickly and cost-effectively scale their sales efforts. So be sure to check this out. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 632. As I've been talking about over the last few weeks, I've been mentoring and training sales professionals for many years now. And one of the most important elements to career success is aligning yourself with a company that develops its employees, values their customers, and has a portfolio of products that can compete with anyone in the market. That's why if you're a top performer in your current role, and you're looking for a fresh sales challenge to take your career to the next level, then you should check out CenturyLink. With its recent acquisition of Level 3, CenturyLink is now a world leader in providing cloud solutions, security, real-time communications, hybrid IT, and managed services. So if you want the excitement, challenge, and rewards that come from selling industry-leading services to the enterprise, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate. That's CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community. Once you join, a member of their team will reach out soon to connect with you and help you determine if a career at CenturyLink would be the right step for you. All right, let's start up Frontline Friday. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Frontline Friday. I'm your host, Andy Paul, with my special guest and co-host, Captain Fantastic, Bridget Gleason. How are you doing? Andy Paul. Yes. So waiting for my Captain Fantastic something. Merch. A mug, a something, a You're something. Keep Cap- promising. All right. It's on the list. Captain Fantastic merch. Been on the list. All, All right. right. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll make that happen. Captain Fantastic. Okay. And we know just the guys to do it. Hey, well, you keep saying that. I'm well, waiting. Yeah. Well, I was expecting yours to come first, actually. But okay. Um, we, we, I, I won't even bother asking how you're doing because you are doing fantastic. And I presume I'm fantastic. you did yes. your run this morning. Yes, I did. And it's cold, as you know. Yeah. Well, that's what you uh, do. Living in Boston. I know. I know that. This time of and year. It comes with great. the territory. It does. As long as it's, I don't go if it's in the teens. Oh, really? Teens lower. Well, I, then I work out in a gym. But ah, teens ah. lower, I'm inside. Didn't realize you were such a lightweight. Okay. Total lightweight. That's when it's just starting to get comfortable running Total temperature. lightweight. All right. All right. Well, we've got a guest here today joining us. And I, I don't want to take up too much of his time debating <laughs> outdoor running in cold weather. Dave, our guest today is Dave Taylor. He's uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Impartner, which is a SaaS solution for managing your sales channel and channel partners. And we're going to talk with Dave about a study that his firm conducted that talked about the difficulty of hiring people into enterprise sales roles. And I thought that's a topic we hear about quite a bit. thought we'd dig into the details. So Dave Taylor, welcome to 
Frontline Friday and Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. And uh, Bridget, nice to meet you. Uh, I've never done a Frontline Friday before. This is a first, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, good. Well, you, Dave, you really, you really reached the pinnacle of your career if you did Frontline Friday. This is it. Okay. okay. Well, especially with Captain it Fantastic. That, it goes downhill after this. Yeah. Okay. The way you talk Good. about it, Bridget, makes it sound like a nadir, not a pinnacle. But uh, <laughs> I think true. your career will, will recover nicely from having been on here, though, Dave. I, so, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, I was intrigued when, when one of your people reached out to me, Dave, and talked about this, this study that you had, um, sort of top-line numbers. You know, 90% of hiring managers found it difficult to fill sales roles. And we're talking more exclusively, I think, about enterprise sales roles. Um, more than half of those surveyed found it's harder to find the right candidates, especially becoming more difficult within the last 18 months. And obviously, if you can't find people, you can't sell. So um, what was sort of the impetus for doing the study? Well, we so our, our company sells, as you said, SaaS solutions that, uh, that enable the indirect channel. And, um, and through the dialogue that we've had with customers and prospects over the last you know, two, three years now, We've noticed more and more of them calling out the fact that they're struggling to hire uh, highly qualified enterprise class uh, direct salespeople, and uh, you know it's a struggle that's that's been going on for them and getting worse. And uh, we thought, you know, it'd be great to get some hard data on this. So we did the research, and uh, sure enough, as you say, it turns out, um, you know, the vast majority, seventy-four percent of them, say that their inability to hire qualified enterprise class uh, salespeople is stopping their company from hitting their revenue targets, which which uh, sounded pretty alarming to us. Well, so one the first question that sprung to mind when I was was reading this was, okay, but and I understand the sub the subtext of the study was or the findings were that, yeah, yeah, you should be using third party channels to uh, complement or supplement or expand your your direct sales channels, but I, I presume the hiring difficulties extend to the channel partners as well. I mean, it, it's it's not generic to to vendors directly. It's anybody that's trying to hire enterprise salespeople. Well, uh, it, it is. The, the difference is in the indirect channel, they're not dedicated 100% to selling for, uh, you know, I, I should have uh, some fictitious company in mind. We'll call it Alta Company, right? Alta Company goes out to hire direct salespeople that are dedicated 100% to them. In essence, it's an operational expense. You're going to you're going to have to capitalize some of this, you know. I mean, sorry, it's a capital expense. You're going to have to capitalize it. You buy them the hardware. You put them through training. You own them. Uh, you carry them on your health care plans. And, you know, all of these things sure. line up. When you when you go to the indirect channel, it is it is a different approach. It is more of the operational approach, which is, I'm just taking a slice of somebody that's already there. And and there's pros and cons with that. Obviously, you like owning your own people, but but with the indirect channel, you can ramp it up faster. You can scale it down faster in a you know in a downturn in the economy, um, you know. And so it, it is kind of a trade off. And I and I totally I can totally see both sides of the coin. And we would never recommend you know one exclusive solution. But we do think that it is a very, very reasonable approach to, um, you know, to go rent, I guess for lack of a better word, go rent, rent a sales force that, that you can uh, ramp up quickly, scale down quickly, and, uh, and not have to carry the capital expenses for. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no one can argue with the capital efficiency of, of using channels as a way to, again, supplement or build out a sales team, especially in markets that, you know, made geographically remote or, or so on, where the cost of actually... Uh, doing business there would be be prohibitive, but my concern is oftentimes I work with companies that are starting to get into channels, and what they they tend to overlook is that 
you know, they have to be managed as well, right? I mean, they have to be sort of recruited like a rep if you want to do a a good job of finding somebody that can represent your your product line and company in the way that you want. They have to be onboarded. They have to be enabled. They have to be managed. Uh, no question about it. What what we do though is we say to them, we give you a point of leverage, right? So, um, you know, so if you're sitting at Alta Company and you're looking to hire, you know, three people. If you go hire three direct sales team, uh, three people in your direct sales team, you can expect to get a certain return on that investment. You can give them a quota. You can expect you know, them to roughly hit that quota. And so you have kind of a predictable revenue stream from those three people. Ours is a leveraged model. Use those three people to recruit, onboard, train, and ramp into revenue using, you know, using a, a solution such as ours or, or any of the solutions in the market. And, and you get a lot more leverage out of that. For every one, per, for every one of those three headcounts that Alta Company has – they can hire a channel account manager that can handle, you know, 10, 15, 20 partner accounts, uh, each of whom have, you know, five to 10 salespeople. And so it's just, there's just a lot more leverage to that model. And, and as you say, you know, the headache of having to hire, having to recruit, having to train still exists. It's just not carried by out the company. It's carried by the channel partner. And you participate in that. You enable them and you train them. But um, but it is it, it's a lot more fungible solution. Um, it, it's a lot easier to get into with with kind of that leverage behind you. Bridget, any questions? Well, uh, first of all, I will I can tell you firsthand it's super hard to find enterprise salespeople, and it is very challenging. I I I liked how you you had said you uh, hire them, you ramp them, you train them, they achieve their quota. I wish it went like that. So <laughs> and easily, that would be great. It doesn't. <laughs> I guess my question is, is are there industries where this works better than others? Because some, like I know we sell a very technical product and we leverage our channel for sure. But it's also important for us to have people that represent us directly. So I'm just curious, are there, are there industries that this model works better for than others? Well, given the fact that it's a technology-based approach, it does tend to work best in technology companies. In fact, um, looking at our customer base and, and the customer base, I, I assume, of, of companies like us, you know, it's 80 to 90 percent, um, you know, tech companies. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I, I, have, I have a theory about that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I bet I can guess your theory, and, and we absolutely resonate with, with the thought that Tech companies are the ones that tend to turn to technology to solve, you know, to solve problems. The interesting thing has been, even in just in the last two years, we've seen a big swing into the manufacturing sector. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and to be honest, it's not one that we had. I mean, I'd love to pat myself on the back and say, great strategic uh, you know, move in partner, way to go. But really, we were more responsive to inbound requests from, uh, from companies in the manufacturing space, companies like Xerox and Ingersoll Rand and Avery Dennison and some of the kind of the big manufacturing sure. companies. And when you think about it, they, they exist because of the strength of their distribution channel. There's almost no direct sales in big companies like that. It, it's all channel. Yeah. Um, and so it does make logical sense. However, we do find when we engage with them, they're a lot more, um, you know, they're a lot earlier in the technology adoption cycle than the tech people that we engage with. Yeah, well, I think that that I had read this. Oh gosh, it was about a year or so ago. The figure, if I remember it correctly, is roughly sixty-seven to seventy percent of commerce is still done through channels in the business that, to business space. 
Exactly. That's the exact number we saw. I think I read it first in an Accenture report that said exactly that. 70% of spend goes through indirect channels. Yep. Yeah. So for people listening to this, it's, it's yeah, don't take me wrong or Bridget in our questions because, you know, I've managed <laughs> third party channel partners, you know, around the world. Um, and yeah, in the appropriate, the appropriate time and the appropriate circumstances, uh, they absolutely make sense. I mean, companies always sort of go through this you know, agonizing about, you know, should we go direct? Should we use channels? Or if we do both, you know, what are the, how do we, how do we segment our accounts? So we always have control over these and blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that actually, I think tech in general, it was sort of late to the game in terms of channels in many respects. I mean, I think these mainstream yeah. industries have, as you talked about, Avery Dennison's and Ingersoll Rand's, that's what they've been doing for better part of a hundred years. Yeah, no, exactly right. And I, you know, so so the interesting uh, story, a little bit from my background, I was a, I was an individual bag carrying salesperson at Intel Corporation many years ago, and um, you know, and I remember very clearly when Intel made the decision to adopt this newly emerging technology called CRM. In fact, I think at the time they called it Salesforce Automation, but they um, did, yes, you know, we yeah, so so we so we made the decision to adopt a tool from Siebel and. You know, it took a year to get it up and running. And then, you know, we each had to go, all the individual salespeople had to go away for a couple of weeks to get trained on it. And it was this kind of groundbreaking technology that Intel assumed, and I think rightly so, would give us a competitive edge in the market. That playing field has absolutely been leveled. Now, it's not only not a competitive edge, it's only a, a decompetitive edge if you're not using something like that. So our company was built on the premise that if that kind of automation technology makes sense in direct channels, why not indirect channels? So, um, so, so that's exactly what we've done. And when we talk to customers about, you know, why are you so late adopting a channel or why have you gone direct first? A lot of times the feedback that we get is, look, I understand the value of indirect. I totally get that. In the direct sales model, I have complete control and insight and analytics and I can, you know, I have a great say over exactly how things are supposed to flow. In the indirect channel, it's more of a black box. Time and effort and money goes into it, and every now and then revenue comes out of it, but it's very hard for me to kind of connect those dots. And I think that's one of the reasons that people have been slow to kind of adopt that uh, that indirect model as much as we think they should. Well, yeah, and Bridget, you can speak to this. I mean, with the companies you've been at and the experiences you've had, but in the startups in the tech space that I've you know ran sales teams and so on, is, you know, it's oftentimes, especially if you're in sort of a a situation where you're going to you know, be raising funds fairly frequently. Yeah, it was hard to, to go to your board and say, yeah, we're, we're doing this all through channels and yeah, I've got no visibility into what's happening and yeah, we want to raise money. Um, those really didn't come together very well. So there was sort of this need is you got to go out and get your anchor customers and, and uh, you know, prove your product market fit and then maybe you can start using channels. So I think that that's, I know that progression still seems to be largely in place. Well, it is. It, it's 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 not even just that you can't go to the board. It's that you need, especially in startups, you need to understand it. You need to be really close to the customer. You need to be close to the sale. You just need to learn. And so you don't want to. In my experience, you don't want to. You don't want to uh, move to a channel too early. But the countervailing argument to that is, as Dave said before, is just the capital efficiency, right? If you're then saying, look, well, on the other hand, we could potentially, potentially scale more rapidly from a sales coverage standpoint using leveraged third-party channels that we're not paying for other than on a performance basis. Yeah, it's a great yeah, argument. Absolutely. And, they, and the arguments work on paper. 
And I think the execution, it depends it depends on the channel partner. It depends on your ability to be to, to be able to enable them properly. You want to make sure you do have good product market fit. The channel's not going to be successful if you don't have good product market fit. Mm-hmm. Period. And so, how do you get that feedback rapidly in a startup? If the if it's growing quickly, the the tightness of that loop is critical, and that feedback loop is critical, and having them close to uh, having the customers as close to engineering and product as possible. Dave, you are going to have a comment. Uh, I, I was I was going to say that um, as as I've always suspected, people from Boston are some of the smartest people in the world. There's just absolutely no question about that. <laughs> I, I mean, it does. I'm not from Boston, but maybe oh, okay. that's meant for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, only because I also was born and raised in Boston, but but that's okay. That you know, I, it, it's hard to argue with the logic of um, you know starting with direct. I mean, every now and then we do see companies that are a little bit forward thinking, companies like Atlassian that are just one hundred percent channel right from the start. And I do think that um, the SaaS model makes it possible for that to happen because through SaaS through the cloud, you are you do tend to be a lot more engaged um, with your audience. Your your uh, product feature releases happen on a weekly or daily basis and. So there's, there's kind of a lot more kind of product-based dialogue between you and your customers. So I think that's enabled. But if, if I were sitting down with somebody that was, uh, you know, saying, hey, Dave, I, I'm anxious to get started in a new business. What do you recommend? Uh, you're right. I would say get your first, get your first sales, uh, you know, driven through direct. That's the way to go because you can own that. Um, and you know, also, I think we, we deal with the, the obvious challenges of recruiting channel partners um, to help you you know, pioneer a market. Channel partners will love to get on board once your revenue hits $500 million and people are clamoring, clamoring for your solution. When you're, pi- yeah, when you're pioneering a market, it's really tough. And so to sit down with a channel partner, you know, to go to CDW and say, hey, we're just getting ready to launch, you know, some new brand new thing and we're going to recruit channel, they're not going to be interested. No. So, so start with direct. When the time is right, we even recommend that you start recruiting slowly on the direct side we typically see our customers get into the five to 10 channel partners before they say, I can't manage this with spreadsheets and email anymore. I need some automated solution. So yeah, that's a great progression. So a question back on the, uh, digressing a little bit, but the question back on the, the study results, the one thing that really sort of bigger issue for me when I was looking at that is one of the results and findings you had was that uh, in the recruiting side, that 46% of the companies that you surveyed reported back that there were a lack of candidates. You know, the hiring was hindered by the fact there were a lack of candidates with relevant experience. And another 22% that reported a lack of candidates who understood their products or customers. So this is a more philosophical question for both of you because you're both ex- you know, exceedingly experienced on the, the sales side. Is What that said to me is, well, companies have basically abdicated the responsibility to develop their own people, right? Is that every time we got a need, we have to go outside. And I think this is, yeah, and this, I see this, you know, heavily in tech, but not exclusively. We see it, you know, as more and more companies, you know, Bridget and I, maybe Dave, I don't know where you got started in your career, but we both did sort of the classic, you know, Xerox type route, have big company train you, turn you loose. And, you know, that doesn't really happen the same way anymore. But it seems like, we're not also investing in our people because, you know, some obviously maybe depending on the size of your company, you may not be able to fulfill all of your your sales needs from internal candidates, but you should be able to fill a substantial portion of them if you're really paying attention to developing your people. Yeah, I I, I can certainly give you a 
you know, kind of my perspective on that. I, I think yeah. that when I look at the 22%, um, I really, so I really am drawn, Andy, to, to, to agree with you on that. I think finding people inside your company that have the company knowledge, the market knowledge, the technology knowledge, I think that is less of a challenge. I think it's finding people that have that and can couple with the couple it with the ability to understand the procurement methodology and how how to negotiate a you know a good fair contract and you know it, I, I really do think you know I, we've got a we've got a company here you know in partner a couple hundred employees and if I was to go hire a new direct salesperson I would look through my organization and think who who do I have that has that combination I could find people that have the company and the market and the technology understanding. I'm really limited on the number of people that I could that I could kind of bump up in the company that that have negotiated, you know, uh, you know, million dollar contracts and, you know, hundred thousand dollar contracts and have worked their way through the procurement department of a big of our big customer base, you know, the McAfee's and, uh, you know, Honeywell's of the world. So so that's, I think, the the real kind of brick that's missing right there. But again, I think that's to me that's that's an issue about development of people. As you put them in positions where they can learn, you don't expect them to to change roles fully formed. I mean, I spent 15 years of my career working in in the satellite communications industry, where yeah, I, I made a career of bringing people from engineering into sales, and so we were selling large systems. Um, and I found this wasn't. Not to say it wasn't that hard, but it, it was a very doable task to teach people how to how to sell, and that was easier than teaching them, you know, to understand how the products really worked and the value the customers would get from them at the level they knew as a as a technical person, for instance. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't buy that it's you can't teach people. I think it just has to be part of your plan. You know, as you bring people in and you'd say, okay, we're going to be developing our sales team. We should try to do that as much as possible from internally. Instead, what we see, it's like I said, certainly in, in certain segments of the of industry, is that, yeah, we're going to rely on these mercenaries to come in, and they're going to stick with us for 12 to 18 months, and they're going to go to the next shiny object that comes along. Which is, uh, I hate to say it, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the world that, that we live in right now. But um, My point is it's different. If you, if you develop people from within, I think you have a different base of loyalty and, and uh, longevity than you get if yeah. you just rely on the mercenaries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I, and so I, I think... So the comment that I was that I was going to make on that was um, I, I would be willing to bet that you would find a real broad variance between um, you know the larger established companies with thousands of employees who probably do tend to have uh, kind of that sales training and you'll hire somebody on as a business development rep and you'll progress them to an inside sales and kind of move them up that way. I think a lot of the people that you know that we tend to interact with tend to be kind of newer companies um, hitting the market, looking to take their first steps into the space, and for them. They need to come right out of the chute, hiring their first five or ten direct salespeople with that skill set on board already. Hopefully, as they grow, they'll take the path that you're talking about for sure. Well, but that was my point. Is yeah, I agree with you. They, you know, if you got to get started with somebody and and you've got nobody, obviously you go outside. But but yeah, I hear this all the conversation all the time from from CROs and VPs of sales. Is yeah, how do we recruit? And they're you know with teams of a dozen, two dozen, three dozen. You know, on people in sales, yeah, they should be developing people, but there's just no thought. I would say no thought, comparatively little thought given to that, as opposed to saying, yeah, we need to bring people on, scale up, let's go recruit. Yeah, um, no, it's I, uh, it's I, a really interesting I, challenge for sure. Yeah, can I um, defend my people? <laughs> can I defend <laughs> my colleagues 
and myself in that. Sure. I, I, I would, I think if you were to ask, I think most VPs of sales and CROs would prefer to promote from within whenever possible. So I, I really do. I, I know that I would prefer to promote from within, but you do have the challenge of, I know I have the challenge of providing that ongoing training, especially in a small company, providing the ongoing training, the consistency to help get people to the next level. It's definitely an intention, but sometimes I can't do it as quickly as I need to when I, when I have, um, when a position opens up, it's also not necessarily as predictable. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors involved. I don't think it's from lack of will or intention. I think it's very difficult. I mean, Andy, you and I were having this conversation, um, just at the very start of the, before we went on air about, you know, my time now also just being, I can't get anything more in the day. And so training is a piece of it, but all these different things that need to be get done, it's a, it's a real challenge to have that. It's definitely, I think on every piece of sales minds, but it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do effectively. Yeah, no. And I, I acknowledge that. I mean, it's, it's, but one of the consequences I think we see of it is, is sort of this low level, um, ongoing sort of slide of productivity, right? Is is you know, how can you how can you really build up your productivity, your sales team to a certain level, you know, without those investments and training and without having more longevity from the top performers and yeah. You know, and we've just we're sort of in this vicious, vicious cycle, I think, especially in technology that in the startup world that that uh, is really, really difficult to break. Yeah, you made an interesting point earlier on. Oh, sorry, Bridget, I, I feel like I keep cutting you off there. Um, Andy, the point that you made earlier on was, um, you know, sometimes there are uh, things that force that shift from, you know, from direct it, it, to indirect. And by the way, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I'm, I would never propose, you know, uh, only hire external versus training or, or only do indirect versus, I think there's a great blend to it. But um but I do think that that layered on top of a strategy of either hiring or building from within and and building your best possible direct sales team, I think there are there are times when I believe always indirect adds a great deal of value. But there are times when it's mandatory. You're opening up a new geographic region. We see we see a lot of U.S.-based tech companies that try and move into the Asia Pacific region. The number one thing they do first is try and find a partner to represent them in the region. And so there are situations where that kind of partnering model makes 100% sense. But but we also are real strong proponents of the fact that even with the best will in the world and with the best sales training organization and the, the best stable of awesome enterprise class salespeople, uh, you know, leverage, layering on top of that an indirect model, but doing it with the same level of insight and control that you have over the direct sales team, in our opinion, that just always makes sense. Which speaks to the issue of, of sort of the classic classic issue that you have with channel partners is yeah having that same degree of of visibility insight control if you will uh that you do on your your inside people absolutely right that's that's the number one thing that we've seen that kind of holds people back from that and and we see it expressed kind of um you know almost humorously in the concept of a qbr or a quarterly business review uh you know you'll see we'll see customers 
with their direct sales team having daily or hourly interactions. How's your number? How's your quota? How's your pipeline? What's the, what about that big deal you've been working on? Is that going to close? And yet, on the indirect side, they're satisfied with a quarterly interaction with, with their channel partners. And so, <laughs> and so really, our, our business and, and the market that we play in is built on that exact thing that you're saying. How do we give people that same level of leverage, control, insight over the indirect that they have on the direct? And that's, that's really what Impartner is all about. Right. And so a question about that. Is so are do the companies that uh, you know are using your your system when they um, you know contract with a a channel partner and sign a you know distribution agreement or whatever a resale agreement do they mandate in the contract compliance with using the system? Um, you know we don't typically see it mandated. We we almost universally see it welcomed with open arms because partners typically are the ones driving our customers. Um, to upgrade their tools, to make it easier to interact. You know, the expectation of, um, of, a, of a personalized experience from the consumer space has absolutely bled over into the business-to-business space, and, and partners are demanding this of, of their vendors who are, who are our customers. And so, you know, we don't typically see it mandated, but it almost, universally, almost universally welcome. We're having our customer conference uh, next week, and uh, we've got a couple of people coming in. Some of our customers are coming to do case studies, and one of them emailed us and said, "Is it possible for me to uh, come present at, at your uh, in partner con? Because we have they just rolled out our our solution maybe a year ago." He said, "We we polled our uh, our partner community, and we have a 98% satisfaction level with our you know with this portal that you built for us." Any time, so he wanted to come talk about mm-hmm. that and brag about that. Anytime I see 98% of your partners are happy with your company, hey, we're on the right track. We've oh, done yeah. something well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, David, are the, are the partners the ones, do you feel like, that are driving, um, driving the engagement? Are they the ones that are saying, hey, we need more than a quarterly business, uh, a QBR? Are they the ones driving for more interaction, or is it the company that's using them, or is it a combination? No, it, it, Bridget, it's a great question, and it is a combination. And the deal is this. The partners drive for more interaction that's lucrative to them. So they want to be able to come to the portal. They want to be able to find leads that have been passed to them. They want to register deals. They want to see how much market development funds are left in their in, in their fund that they can go spend. So, So anything that kind of tips the scale in their favor, they're all over that. Now, now our customers, the vendors, they want to drive the engagement as well, but they want to do it because they want to be able to get um, reportability and accountability for the MDF spend and for the leads that have been passed. And so, so really, the, the real estate that that portal sits on is, um, is kind of that interaction point where if the vent and it's a balance, right? If the vendor can push enough value into the portal, leads and MDF funds and you know, et cetera, fresh content, what's going on in the market, and the and the partner can come gather that and as a and as a in payment report back on how they've done with some of the prior leads, et cetera. That's the right balance. And so I don't know if it's one group or the other that really kind of drives the engagement, but absolutely they both benefit from it for sure. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I I can see that when I've worked with the channel. In the past, and we've got it, we're developing our channel program here, but when I've worked the channel in the past, 
that's been one of the big the big issues is what you've talked about is that engagement and how do we create meaningful engagement on both sides that makes it easy and that it works for both parties. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is uh, it really varies kind of from company to company. Companies that have been in the market for a very long time and have really established processes, um, you know, uh, sometimes it takes them longer to kind of recognize the value of, of moving to a new model like this. But, um, but really, you know, companies that are aggressive and growing fast, they, they look for the, the type of thing that, that you're talking about. They look for that point of engagement. How do we really drive? You know, I think a lot of older companies, uh, I say that almost like it's a bad thing. I think a lot of companies that have history behind them, um, I think they still rely on, you know, the concept of partner loyalty. And, and I, I know certainly when I was, you know, uh, coming up through the channel and through sales, we, we talked about how do we increase loyalty from partner. I think in today's world, really that that concept is is a little bit out the window i think i think if you're not providing the type of experience that that has both a kind of um you know psychological value and monetary value to your partner community you probably have a competitor that is and and they're you know and your partners are only as loyal as as their bottom line i mean i that sounds really kind of mercenary but well, i think that's the way it is it's the same with your customers I mean, I think that that <laughs> the same dynamic exists there too, right? I mean, especially you know in a SaaS world where the switching costs are so low, um, yeah, if the experience isn't 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 good, isn't consistent, um, you know, the impetus to switch is is always there. Yep. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, Dave, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great. We could uh, we could go on and on about this. So. Um, Tell people how they can find out more about Impartner and connect with you. We would love people to find out more about Impartner. And the easiest way is simply to grab us on the website at uh, Impartner.com. That's I-M-Partner.com. We'd love you to reach out. This is, uh, you know, obviously a topic that we're just passionate about, Andy. And so thank you for your time. And Bridget, nice to meet you as well. Nice to meet you. And Bridget, until next week. Until next week. I look forward to it. Have a great week, everybody. Yeah, thank you everybody for joining. Thank you for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll be back at you next Friday. 